Well, if you've been around Calvary for a little bit, you've noticed that there's lots of things, uh, freshening up kind of stuff that has been going on in the last couple of years. We've, we've, we've done quite a bit. And even in the recent past, uh, if you're on campus, you might have seen the, um, uh, the dumpster. If you've been uh, on campus this week, that is. You might have seen the signs. You might have noticed that the office staff has been relocated to various uh, locations. And so there's been lots of, there's lots of that stuff going on, the, the remodeling of the main office. And then after that's gone, done, there's going to be a remodeling of a second area to create some more offices. So that's all exciting. That's all great. And we're, we're thankful that God has blessed us with the resources so that we can be able to do those kind of things. But we've also been making some other kind of changes and investments into the ministry um, after, after the retirement uh, of Pastor Shin. Um, not too long ago, uh, we began to, to, to think and strategize about where we would want to make some choices as a, in regards to staffing. And so we were really blessed for the opportunity to have one of our own, Dan Arbeiter, as he was uh, um, kind of finishing up his uh, career at Ford Motor Company. He came on as our executive pastor in the, in the recent past. And even more recently, we were able to add uh, uh, Bobby Lee Barr as our director of community life. And as part of our ongoing mission to, to really be a ministry about helping people follow, follow Jesus together, we will be adding uh, to our staff an individual that uh, you, you may recall was here at Calvary. His name is Charles Bai. And so we are actually going to be adding Charles to our staff as a community outreach pastor. You may recall that he spoke at our worship service in October. We've continued from that time. Um, in fact, Dan Arbeiter, executive pastor, has spent the, the majority of the time with Charles. I've been able to have uh, some face-to-face -face time with Charles as well. And we have just been uh, really struck uh, with Charles and his, uh, his deep love for Jesus. If that, the thing that you are going to get to know when you get to know Charles over the days and weeks and months to come is how much this man loves Jesus, his sincerity, his friendliness, his reflection of really what it means to, uh, to be Jesus to others. Charles is currently serving in Chinese-speaking uh, churches in our community. Uh, he's serving in, in a Chinese-speaking church in Troy, as well as one in, here in Canton. And so we see this as an incredible opportunity for him to expand our outreach into cultures that we are not touching right now. And so we're extremely excited about that. We ask that you would be in prayer for him. For now, if you want to send him even today, kind of like, hey, welcome to the Calvary family, Charles, uh, you can send that email to Bai at uh, gmail.com. Again, you can see his picture here, but thankfully, even though he was serving in the other churches this morning, he was able to be here with us. Charles, why don't you stand and give everybody a quick wave, would you? <laughs> we are super excited that you're here, brother, and uh, so please be in prayer for Charles and, and, and Dan and myself and the entire ministry team as we Again, uh, try, to, try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in this opportunity that we really believe God has set before us. So if you would, bow your heads with me. We want to pray for the rest of the service. We want to pray for Charles, uh, for CDC, and all of us as we continue in this service today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the gift of salvation. It is truly a gift, and it's not something that we can earn, and so we just give you all the thanks and praise for it. We also thank you, Lord, for the way in which you've um, allowed our lives here at Calvary to intersect with the life of this, this great brother, Charles. 
we're, we're excited for how we might partner together and we might uh, serve together in seeing our, our love, Lord, uh, be exampled in our community even more, um, more profoundly, uh, in a more diverse manner, in, in, a, in a way that allows us to expand beyond the reach with, that we currently have. So thank you, thank you for this opportunity. And we pray that as Charles becomes part of our team and as, as he be, gets to know people in our family and as he begins to serve here, we just pray most of all, God, that you would continue to work in him in the way that you are. Bless him, Lord, with a special anointing of your Holy Spirit and help us to, to be proactive in, in getting to know him and, and, and helping him to acclimate into the Calvary family. We, we thank you, God, again for that opportunity and we pray your special blessing on him as he serves with us. We pray, God, also uh, for CDC. We thank you for our long-term partnership with them. Uh, certainly, Lord, through especially through, through Phil Woodman and Jordan Baker and our student ministries, there's been great partnerships there and also with, with all of the leadership of, of ABCs in the D, Paul and Stephanie, um, uh, Trulock and Megan, just all of the ways in which they've connected there and, and facilitated that relationship. We thank you for them and we pray that you would continue to use that relationship with CDC to grow your kingdom. We pray specifically for the ABCs and the D ministry as they serve out the rest of this school year, God, and pray that you would deepen those relationships and help them to continue to meet both practical like everyday needs of, of, of academics and, and things like meals and encouragement as well as, Lord, of course, the need, the spiritual need that all of us have and specifically the children that we're working with there. We pray, Lord, also for the rest of our service service. We ask that, that you would just be our teacher today. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that we do, and we pray, pray that we, Lord, would be open uh, and, and, and willing to hear what you have for us as you, uh, as you speak to us through your word, specifically through Paul's letter to those Roman believers many years ago. We pray all of those things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you uh, happen to have some kids that are in grades one through five, you can go ahead and dismiss them uh, to kids' worship. Uh, and the rest of you can grab that insert that's in the program and follow along with me as we continue in our series in Romans uh, chapter 15 and 16. We're wrapping up. This is our last section of our journey through the book of Romans. And we began it last week as we uh, began um, up in the, the kind of the, the first part of the second half of chapter 15, and this was how we could see Paul was opening his heart up. He's wrapping up this letter, and he's really opening his heart up about himself and about his feelings toward these believers as he's kind of bringing his, this letter to them uh, to a close. And one of the first things that he does in that section that we looked at last week is he just offers them some words of affirmation. He says, I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters, that you yourself are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. In other words, he's saying, good job, well done, that away, keep it up. And so that word of affirmation that Paul offers to them, of course, is very encouraging. Most of us like to receive words of affirmation from those people that are, you know, in some position of authority over our life, whether it's something in, in, our, in a relationship at work or something in a, in a school setting or at home, whatever it might be. And so that encouragement that he offers them is certainly one that I'm sure was well received. 
But he does go on to say, I have a little bit of a challenge though for you. I, I have written to remind you the purpose of me writing this letter in the first place is that you would be reminded, and we talked about the apostles had a very uh, acute sense of the importance of a quote unquote reminding ministry. That they were, that they were gonna be uh, telling them things that they had told them before, but oftentimes we just need reminders. Uh, if, if I was to ask you today, you know, things like, is it good for you to eat a lot and be really sedentary? You'd say, no, you know that, right? In terms of your physical health, you know, eat better, maybe work out a little bit, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we need little reminders, right? Like as I was setting an alarm on my phone, uh, if you have an iPhone, you know that there's a bedtime feature now in the alarm section, right, in the clock section. And, it, and, and right there within, you know, the, my, my, my iPhone, it tells me that it's helpful for you to go to bed and get up on the same time every day. So if you would like some help in doing just that, set this bedtime reminder right now, right? So we need reminders. How many of you at one point this week use Siri or some other method to remind you to do something that you needed to do? Yeah, and the rest of you are lying, so, or you don't have a phone. Or you're so free from all those restraints that you just have the good life right now, whatever. But we need reminders, and Paul then says, I'm reminding you. He then goes on to describe his ministry. He talks about the fact that he's, this ministry of his is a, is a priestly uh, ministry that he is basically offering up to God his, uh, the, 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 this, the, these Gentiles as an offering, as a ministry offering to him, to him, these people that have responded to the gospel. He talks about how the fact that what he's doing is not in his own strength. It's a supernatural ministry. It's a spirit-filled, spirit-driven, spirit-empowered ministry, not a ministry of like his own doing. And then he clarifies that, that his ministry is also one that's completely about the good news and also about being a trailblazer. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel. We talked about Paul is obsessed, consumed, laser-like focused with being a gospel person. That's what he's all about, specifically where Christ has not been named. So he is a pioneer. He is a trailblazer. He is taking his ministry, in fact, to places where they have not heard of the person of Jesus, have not responded yet to the gospel. And so Paul has continued to do that. He always found new areas in Asia Minor and also in the Grecian Peninsula that had not yet, uh, not yet uh, heard the gospel. And so he, he had not yet felt free to go to a place that he longed to go to. And that's one of the things that he's gonna say in our text today. Verse 22, the very first one, he says, that is why all this stuff, my consumption with the gospel, that, that God has been using me in that, that is why I have been, pre been prevented many times from coming to you. Now, Paul had said all the way back at the very beginning of the letter, in the 11th verse of the first chapter, he said, I long to see you. He's gonna repeat that now when he's gonna talk about, in a sense, these verses that we're going to look at today, it's really his travel story, his travel plans. He's going to really talk about his, his uh, involvement in three different areas and the way that they're all coming together and what he's been and where he's going, what he hopes to do. And then he's going to wrap it all up with an affirmation of something that he sincerely believes. And the first thing that he's going to talk about is this idea of what was. So he's been talking about his ministry, his past, what he has been doing. And, he's, and, and that's exactly where he begins in our text today. 
He says, again, repeating what he just said in 22, I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. But why couldn't he come? Why couldn't Paul come? Paul's constant preoccupation with a ministry task of what? Sharing the gospel in places where they had not yet heard it. His constant preoccupation with that all around the Mediterranean world had prevented him from coming to to Rome to visit. He said at the beginning of the letter, he's saying it here twice, right? He says it two times. I've been prevented many times. And the the word, that's probably the best translation. And and you might have it in your English Bible. I have often been prevented. But his his emphasis in in these words is that over and over and over and over and over, I have prevented, I have been prevented from coming even though I have strongly desired I I long to be there. I want to be there. It is my desire. But notice that Paul always allows his desires, his longings, his personal wishes to be subject to what? His calling. I am absolutely wanting to be there. I say it at the beginning of my letter. I say it at the end of my letter. I love you guys. I want to be there. I think there's value in being there. I desire to be there. And in fact, he's going to talk about how not only is it going to be- benefit them for him to be there, but it's going to benefit him for him to be there. But that's all subject to what was. And what was is I have had to be preoccupied with what? The sharing of the gospel all throughout Asia Minor, all throughout the Eastern Mediterranean, all throughout the Grecian Peninsula. I've been consumed with that. I couldn't let that trump my desire to be there. For those of us who are in ministry of any sort, there's always the tension between what we want and what he's called us to do. What we want and what we know benefits the kingdom. That isn't just for people in an incredibly important ministry like the apostolic ministry of Paul. I know it's not only for that kind of stuff, but I think there are everyday choices we make. Our ministry to each other of encouragement, of serving, of teaching, of prayer. However we serve, in whatever ministry capacity in which we find ourselves, there's always a tension to do what we want to do more than what God has called us to do, right? It's a great reminder, and we see this in the, in the life of Paul. So what was is, I've been doing all of the stuff that I've been called to do. While I've been doing that, I really wish I could have come and seen you. I want to still come and see you. And so this what was is, though, again, it's just, like I said, it's almost just like Paul's giving his travel plans here. At one level, it's kind of like, wow, this is not super, not super exciting. There's not a lot to learn, but there is because he identifies again how those desires are subject to the calling in his life. He then goes on to talk about not only what was, but also what is. Now he says, remember, I've been, I've been called to do this. I've been doing it. I've been, I've been obsessed with this, with this gospel uh, spreading in the places where, where Christ has not been known. But now, he's going to talk about the what is. But now, I no longer have any work to do in these regions. Now, in other words... Paul, is, Paul, through discernment, has come to the place where he believes that he has accomplished what God wanted him to do. That doesn't mean he's visited every single town in that entire region. That's not what he's saying. 
But I believe instead what he's saying is, I have planted enough churches, I have equipped enough leaders, I have empowered enough believers so that now it becomes their responsibility to take the work that I have begun in this area and take it to the next step. Because he recognizes it's not about one person visiting every city and and planting a church everywhere and being responsible for the entire region, but it's about him in a very select few places. And I, I believe Paul was very strategic in his church planting efforts so that he could say, I don't have any work, no longer is there any, do I have any work to do in these regions? Is the work in the region complete? No, but his role in it is complete. Make sense? I'm done. I'm done. And so right now, he says, I'm going to do something different. Right now, I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Uh, The the perfect uh, present tense, I said perfect, should have said present. The present tense of this verb uh, literally does mean most likely that Paul is actually involved in the journey as he's writing that he literally has left. That's why the, in our particular translation, it says, right now I am traveling. It, it means to, that, the, that the, the, the start of this journey is either imminent or it has actually virtually begun. And so the, the, the sense here is that Paul is engaged practically in this travel to Jerusalem. And the reason that he's going there is because of the poverty that is being, that is being experienced by those who are living in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church. Now, there's been some thoughts about, well, why is, this, why is the Jerusalem church experiencing uh, poverty? Some have suggested it's persecution. Uh, some have, have suggested it's doubt. There has also been some scholars that have suggested uh, that it was related to the way in which in the Jerusalem church, they had this economic sharing that had occurred. And so what one commentator is, says is, is this, while applauding their generosity, the fact that they pooled all their resources and then gave to anyone as he or she had need, one commentator says, while applauding their generosity, some have questioned their wisdom since they sold and gave in the economically disastrous way of realizing capital and distributing it as income. Makes sense for those of you who have a, a little bit of an, a business sense. They are receiving all this capital and then have distributed it. And some have suggested maybe that's why they find themselves now in need because all the capital they have received has been distributed as income and they no longer have the capital. Makes sense? So whether it's persecution, whether it is drought, some sort of, of a physical sort of uh, natural sort of disaster, whether it's kind of like the fact that they were kind of living on the edge has now put them in a place of need. Whatever the case might be, we're not sure, but we know that the Jerusalem churches have a need. And so Paul has decided that he is going to um, elicit the help of all of the Gentile believers all throughout the region that he's been. And so if you would, look at those couple of verses there in your notes, picking it up after he writes that he has been traveling to, to, will be traveling to Jerusalem. He says, because, in verse 26, because Macedonia... And Achaia, namely uh, the northern and southern um, uh, churches of northern and southern Greece, respectively, in, in Macedonia and Achaia, they were, pleased, they were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in their material needs. And so, 
There's an interesting sort of dynamic here in the relationship between uh, the, the, uh, the offering that the, that the Gentiles are offering to the Jerusalem church, would have, which would have been made up. The Gentile churches are making an offering back to the, to the Jerusalem church, which would have been made up primarily of Jewish converts, not Gentile converts. And so hopefully you can see that Paul is using kind of a both and. Look at, it, look at how he describes this offering. Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor. One commentator says, Paul, that's a little bit of a euphemism, excuse me, because you had kind of demanded that they do it. <laughs> you had kind of said, you're going to do this. And in fact, you pick up a little bit of that tone when he says, they were pleased to do it, but how does he identify it? They were kind of indebted. They, this is something they should do. So it's both an opportunity and an obligation. Paul doesn't make it one or the other. He makes it both. Look at those words again. They were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. Yes, they were pleased, and indeed they are indebted to them. In other words, yes, they were pleased to do it, and they should have done it. Yes, it was an offering, but I made sure that they, I reminded them that, listen, if it wasn't for the Jerusalem church, where would you be? If it wasn't for this Jerusalem church sending out converts, sending out missionaries to this region of the world, you would not know Jesus. And so is it that Paul is kind of like demanding that they pay for their salvation? No, I don't think it's to that extreme. But I think he is saying, listen, there's an obligation to, in a sense, the mother church. Think about, and this is what he alludes to here, think about the spiritual blessings you have. You now, who were not a people, displaced from God, destroyed, were headed to your own destruction, didn't even know it. You were blind to the gospel. You had zero spiritual capital. Now, you have been blessed with incredible spiritual capital. And guess what? Those who were responsible for you receiving that spiritual capital in that they were the sending church, right? They were the original believers. It is only right for you then for the material blessings that you have to invest back into them because of this incredible spiritual capital that you now have. Make sense? So he says, yes, they were pleased. And indeed, they are indebted to them. And this is that spiritual material uh, context here in the second sentence of verse 27. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, and they have salvation, then they, the Gentiles, are obligated to minister to them, the Jews, the Jewish Christians, in material needs. And again, Paul, I don't think he's trying to, I, I don't think he was trying to flex his muscle with the churches of, that he had founded there in the, in the Eastern Mediterranean. I, I don't think he's trying to coerce because he said to the Corinthians, right? This isn't about arm twisting, giving, when he talked about giving with the Corinthian church. So this is it's not about arm twisting or making you feel guilty. He's just trying to present to them the, the reality of what they've received in Jesus. And so again, when we think about the way in which we share material resources, whether it's some kind of offering we give to a, a ministry like Calvary, some other ministry that you invest in, whether you sponsor a child through, through some child agency, whether you invest in, in a missionary personally or you invest in a other, other kind of a ministry not related to your local church. Those things, it's not that you're paying God back for your salvation, right? You can never do that. 
You could write a check for the entirety of every account that you have. And it's not like that God is pleased with you doing that. But what it is, it's an expression of gratitude for what he has done for you, right? And it's also recognizing that we in the body have an obligation to invest in the work of ministry. And also, specifically as it relates to Paul's example here, to meet the needs of those who have them. So again, not about coercion, not about manipulation, but it's just about the recognition. I've received so much. It's right for me to invest in others. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's talking about, about why. And in so much so that he says in, at the beginning of verse 28, so when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, this offering is so important. In fact, there's a kind of a, uh, kind of a technical term here that's used um, in, in the assistance that he's going to receive um, from later from the Romans, and it kind of alludes to it here in the assistance they're, they're providing. It's this idea that, that Paul is almost putting his seal, official seal of approval on the offering and literally seems to indicate that he is going to actually face-to-face, in person, deliver those funds to them to affirm in them the, rece- the reception of that offering from all of these Gentile believers. So he's taking this offering very seriously and says that that's what he's, he's going to do, that he's going to deliver the funds himself in person to them, and then he begins to talk about what's next. What's next? So what is next? I then have this plan. So I have this plan to visit you on my way to Spain. So what's next for Paul? What, what was all that work in the Eastern Mediterranean? What is right now? I'm traveling to Jerusalem I think you get the idea of why he's traveling to Jerusalem and why he's taking this offering. What's next is I'm going to go see you and I'm also going to go on to Spain. That's my plan. He says, I have strongly desired, remember he said, I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Spain was what was next. Spain is a Roman colony. Uh, There are many Jews who live there. It's the northwest limit of the Roman Empire, which is what would have been recognized as the civilized world in the day of uh, of Paul's writing. It's uh, under the authority of Roman government. It also, much like where Paul has been, it has a system of roads, thanks to the Roman government. It has a connection to the Mediterranean, and it also has a lack of Christians. And so again, it's very, very similar to the missionary environment that he has just experienced in the Eastern Mediterranean. So some have suggested that due to these similarities to the Eastern Mediterranean, Paul then sees this, perhaps thought it would be a place where the gospel would advance greatly. There are some very noteworthy thinkers and leaders in the Roman world that are living in Spain at the time. And so Paul probably sees this as a place that is ripe for the gospel. And so his desire is to go there. But before he goes there, and and by the way, just so you know, by going to Jerusalem first, which is heading east instead of heading west from where he is, which is most likely Corinth when he's writing this letter, Paul is adding about 1,500 miles to his journey 
by going to Jerusalem first before he eventually lands in Spain. We're going to talk about whether or not he got there or not. Now, don't, I traveled over 1,500 miles to go visit my son in Reno not too long ago. But uh, it's not as easy for Paul to just get through security, hand some, you know, show somebody your boarding pass on your phone, hop on the plane, and in a few hours wake up and be in a new city or somewhere other uh, long way away. 1,500 miles, adding his journey. In fact, if you add up all the things one scholar has pointed out, if you add up all of the things that Paul is about to do by ship, it's probably going to be at least 3,000 miles, and it's probably going to be more than that because some of the journey is going to be by land and not by ship. So when you think about in the ancient world with all the travel difficulties that Paul was going to face, his desire to do this again shows his incredible commitment to the believers in Jerusalem, to the believers in Rome, and to the not yet believers in Spain. This is no easy task. But he says, this is what I'm about to do. What's next for me is I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And after I get that done, I'm headed to Spain. But guess what? On my way to Spain, I'm going to stop and see you. Now, these, these words, for I hope to see you when I pass through, the, 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 the nuance to that when I pass through is I'm not going to stay long. You know, when, uh, when, when you say to somebody, uh, uh, the, I, I can only stay for a minute, you know, that's not literally you're only going to stay for one minute, but what are you saying? I can't stay long. Sometimes you even say it that way, right? I can't stay long, but I, I wanted to stop and this. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. I can only stay for a minute. I can't stay too long, but I want to pass through. And I, I hope to see you. And, it's, and he says there, and to be assisted by you for my journey there. By the time of Paul's writing, the word that is translated in our English Bibles, be assisted by you, has become a technical term for supporting Christian missionaries. He's, he's literally knowing that they're going to probably provide him material, financial support for his journey to continue on in his work towards Spain. That's what that word assisted had come to mean at the time of Paul's day. So he says, I, I want to be assisted by you, but also I want to simply enjoy your company. The word is, I want to, this is the, the and it's very hard to represent in English. It means I want to be saturated with your fellowship. That's what it literally means. I want to be filled up with you. I want to be completely saturated in relationship with you. I can't stay long, and I know you're going to provide for me some, some practical assistance, assistance. You're going to invest in me for my trip to Spain. But also, I just want to get my cup filled by being with you. He doesn't even know him yet, <laughs> right? He's heard of them. He knows him well enough to, to, at least through reports that he's been receiving. In fact, some people have suggested that's why he hasn't yet visited Rome because the reports that he's been receiving about the Roman believers is that, what did he say? I'm, I'm, I'm confident in your goodness. You're able to instruct one another. You're kind of like, you're doing a good job. He's offered all that affirmation. And so he recognizes that when he gets there, he's anticipating an incredibly wonderful time. Isn't it an incredible gift when you get to spend time? There are some people like this in your life. Not everybody, I recognize that. But there are some people like this in your life. After spending a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, however much time it is with them, you walk away and you're just like filled up. You're like, man, I am just so thankful to be with them. And that's what Paul's anticipating, even though it's not gonna be long. Because again, what's in the back of Paul's mind? I got to get to Spain. I got to get to Spain. I got to get to Spain. Why? 
because it's been my constant preoccupation to take the word of the good news where it has not yet been heard. And it's important for me to affirm and invest in the Jerusalem church to meet the practical needs of brothers and sisters there. So I'm going to go out of my way 1,500 miles to take that gift and personally deliver it to, to them. He wouldn't have had to do that. He could have sent an emissary, a messenger of some sort. And after I get done with that, because I've always wanted to see you guys, and it can't be a long visit, but because I know that you're going to invest in me, and I know I'm going to be filled up by spending time with you, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to see you. But I can't stay long because i got to go to Spain. Because ultimately what's next is Spain is next. Did Paul get there? We don't know. <laughs> That's a big downer, right? Oh, we don't know. There's this, there's this one statement that we find by Clement that was written in the year uh, uh, 96, 97. And Clement of Rome in his letter, first letter to the Corinthian church, says this. He says about Paul, uh, he says, to the whole world he taught righteousness. And reaching the limits of the West, he bore his witness before rulers. Some have taken that allusion to the limits of the West because Spain was the western limit of the Roman Empire, northwestern limit of Roman Empire at that time. Some have taken that to believe that Paul, in fact, did reach Spain. And in fact, there was another missionary journey that he possibly in, engaged in after that. Um, where, but eventually we know that, that Paul's uh, life ended. He, was in, he, he had suffered house arrest under Rome, but then later he would find himself in a dungeon and ultimately he would be executed. Now, in the midst of all, and that was under the, the persecution of Emperor Nero in Rome. Now, in the midst of that, did Paul make it to Spain? We don't know for sure. We know that was his plan. We have an allusion to it by a historian that, that seems to indicate that he did make it there. But for certain, can we say that he did? No, we can't say that he did for sure. But there is something that we know for sure. And that's the last thing that Paul talks about in his plans. Thing that Paul says that he knows for sure, even though his hope is to see them, his goal is to see them, his dream is to go to Spain. He says, what he does know is this. I knew know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Meaning this, Paul's saying, when I'm coming to you, it's actually not me who's coming to you. This is so Pauline in his, in his way of thinking. It's so right on to his, his persona. It's all about, it's not me, it's him. And so even as I'm coming to you, what I'm really bringing to you, 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 know, you know how we get with celebrities, right? We were like, oh my goodness, Paul's going to stop and see us. He was, I mean, he was probably the greatest celebrity in the Christian world at the time. And the Christian world is a very small world at this time. But even if there was an incredible celebrity, I, I don't even want to say the name because some of you would groan and others of you would clap. But if there was this great celebrity, this Christian celebrity that walked in, and many of us would, would kind of be disarmed by that, right? And, that, and that's what, what Paul knows is, is he recognizes how people feel about him. He recognizes the apostolic authority that he has. He recognizes the reputation that he has. He knows how people think of him for the work that he's done. But he's like, when I'm coming to you, I'm not coming to you to bring you the blessing of Paul. You don't need that. I'm coming to you, and what I know for sure is, I'm bringing you the blessing of Christ. And that's why our time together is going to be important. That's what I know for sure. And so when I'm there, it's all about Jesus. 
And why am I stopping in Jerusalem? Because it's all about Jesus. And why do I want to go to Spain? Because it's all about Jesus. Now, does that sound like Paul? Yep. For those of you who have done any reading at all, and even a little bit of in-depth study on him, it's not me, it's him. It's not Paul, it's Jesus. I no longer live, but he lives through me. I have been crucified with Christ Jesus. That's what he knows for sure. So what do we take away? Lots of little historical tidbits, some of which you were probably bored by, others of which you might have found interesting. All that stuff aside, what I would encourage you to see is this. A couple of things. Paul's preoccupation with the gospel. The importance that Paul places on investing in people who have need. And the importance Paul sees on the way in which we bring mutual edification to one another. Would the, would the visit to Rome benefit the Roman Christians? Absolutely, but Paul recognizes it's going to be of incredible benefit to him as well. So even though this is just a little bit of a personal rambling about here's where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going, hope you, hope, hopefully you can see the spiritual principles that emerge from that and put those into place in your own life. This morning, we're going to be reminded again of something again that Paul was absolutely committed to, that it was all about Jesus. So today, we're going to have the opportunity to share in Holy Communion. And every time we share in Holy Communion, we remember, right, the gift of Jesus in the flesh. We remember the fact that he shed his blood for us. And so as you hold those two things in your hand today, that piece of bread and that cup of juice, Hopefully you can recognize the heart of Paul as it relates to his ministry and his plans and his relationships with believers and people who are not yet believers. And you can be thankful that again, it truly is all about Jesus, God in the flesh and his shed blood. The servers are going to get ready to, to uh, prepare those uh, trays so that we can uh, receive them uh, all of us together, just a reminder to you that you don't have to be a member of our, our local church here or any uh, church. If you've received Jesus as Savior, then we welcome you to participate in this Holy Communion. The plate will pass in front of you. Grab a piece of uh, bread, a cup of juice, and hold on to it until we've all been served, and then we'll eat and drink together, okay? Let's pray and just prepare our hearts for just a second as they prepare to pass those trays. Heavenly Father, thanks again for the gift of the church. Thank you specifically for the gift of the Apostle Paul. Thank you not only for the example that he provides to us, yes, that's true, but the actual things that he did. Planting churches, encouraging believers, facilitating offerings, providing theological uh, framework when it was so desperately needed. Thank you for his ministry. And God, we, we thank you most of all for his consumption, his obsession with you, with the gospel. So regardless of anything else that he wanted to do, he, know, he knew that everything else took a backseat to the gospel. Thank you for the artistic way in which he incorporated that into every area of his life. Thank you for his commitment to that. May we learn from that example as well. And Lord God, 
as we share in communion today, may we be reminded that the, that the thing that caused Paul to live that way was not a thing, it was a person, it was Jesus. And so as we, as we reflect on that through this act that Jesus instituted for us as believers, may we be impacted by its significance. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. You know, I got to thinking this week about that whole offering to the Jewish believers at Jerusalem. And I kind of let my mind wander a little bit, so this is just a little bit of editorial stuff. Don't take this as absolute. Let my mind wander a little bit, and I'm like, well, what if it was, what if the reason was that they, they're in need is because, again, they had, they had kind of squandered their resources and in kind of an, uh, a little bit of a reckless manner. They had received all that stuff, distributed it, and then when it was gone, it was gone. And I thought, you know, maybe some of those Gentile believers, if that was the case, which we don't know that it was, but if that was the case, some of those Gentile believers might have said, I'm not given to them. They did it to themselves. I wonder where we'd be if God kind of thought that way about us. I'm not giving my son to them. They did it to themselves. That's the ultimate expression of love, right? To meet a need that someone has that they actually inflicted upon themselves. It was our sin, right? It was our choice. And God says, I love you. And so I give you my son in the flesh. God in the flesh. Let's eat together. Jesus demonstrates that same level of sacrificial offering, right? For those of us who did it to ourselves, his blood was shed that we might have life. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me? Worship team has a song to close us out. Let me pray as they get ready to do that. Lead us in that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for reaching out to us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for demonstrating your love to us when we were still sinners. We celebrate that. We are filled with gratitude because of that. We worship you out of a position of being recipients of your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you today. We love you today.